0: Welcome to the Centro Church podcast. To find out more about Centro Church, please visit us at centrochurch.com.au or download our smartphone app today. Turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. You know, when you read passages in the Bible like that talks about us, talks about the church, talks about the Christians and says you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. It hits me how much Jesus wants us individuals as Christians but us unified together corporately as the church to be the primary influences of our society. That is that's so true. It it comes true in everything he says. It doesn't matter even how long you've been walking with Jesus. If you've been walking with him for for nine hundred years like Ross Ms or ten minutes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with, with him even as he's forming his character in you, even as he's forming his nature in you, the formation of what's going on inside of us can just, can just pop out and transform the environment around us. When God starts the process of spiritual formation in us, he's authoring something that he is obliged by his word to finish, to see through to completion. And as, as that transformation happens in us, it leaks out into the environment around us. Do you believe that? Five of you do. Come on can't wait for you this morning you know this week even the most committed of you will spend three percent of your time in church and in church programs the other 97 percent is there to be influencing around you your street your society your workplace your community wherever it is that you are wherever it is that you're present in wherever it is that you can be effective that's what it's all about so it stands to reason that we can use that time to build something, to use our what God is doing in us to build something into the community around us. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 43. It, this um, chapter starts at a point where Israel had been through so much over a long period of time. The people had been through so much and their, the generation before had been through so much and Some of it was good, some of it was bad, but it got to the point where they thought they'd seen it all and they were just a little bit cynical in their faith. But they were still believing God for the greater things, but they'd become a bit complacent in the now. And so Isaiah the prophet speaks into that situation. Chapter 43, verse 19 in the Message Translation, it says, Be alert, be present, be present. So many times we're not present. We're not present with what God is doing. Sometimes we get a promise from Him and we and we just forget about it. We just let it go. We don't live with that and mull over it and like Mary, the mother of Jesus, ponder it in our hearts and hang on to that. Be present. You know, sometimes we sing a song, Lord, mate, let us become more aware of your presence. He's done everything He can. It's up to us now to be present. He's... God has done everything He can. He fills all in all. He's, he's present. He's present. It's us, usually, that aren't present. And the, and the Bible tells us here, to be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. Wild animals will say thank you, the coyotes and the buzzards, because I provided water in the desert. Rivers through the sun-baked earth, drinking water for the people I chose. The people I made, especially for myself, are people custom-made to praise me. Yeah, on the surface of it, this looks like a discourse about irrigation. But, and all the agricultural people said, yep, amen. But it, it, this is Isaiah writing, and, and his, his writings have meanings on several levels. It's about far more than irrigation. The idea here that God is doing something new. Raising up people, raising up groups of people to be rivers in the badlands. I really like that. And so I've titled my message this morning, Rivers in the Badlands. It sounds like, sounds like a spaghetti western, doesn't it? So God is raising up us to be rivers in the badlands, to bring streams of refreshing water into places where there's no flow, where there's no good things, into bad places, places of, of varying degrees of values. Our society needs change on so many levels, doesn't it? Yeah, in government, policy, education, the entertainment industry, workplaces. I'll bet you people around here are saying, my workplace needs to change. In sport, (laughs) I like it. Now, those places won't change if we take the mindset that we have to wait for those people to come to church and get saved, and then then you know when everybody gets saved, my workplace will be transformed. It doesn't work like that. This what I'm talking about here, although that would be a good thing, don't get me wrong. What I'm talking about here is God placing strategically and called people into streams in society, places I mentioned, workplace, government, education, all of those places, strategically placed people equipped and released to bring transformation to that workplace to bring be culture changes in that workplace or wherever it is that you might be we need to see people who are lodged in different places of society as called as those who work professionally for the church we need to see callings on the level of that for people who work in education barry reek over here he, he is lodged in the education department strategically. And, and, and I believe that he is called to that. He has a calling on his life to do that, to perform where he is and bring transformation and culture change to his workplace. Are you getting what I mean? Like I said, it's not evangelism, but it doesn't exclude evangelism. It's cultural change. Some time ago, a long time ago in a workplace far, far away, I was a Commonwealth banker. And and I was at, a, at the branch in Baval and I got saved there. And then I got transferred to a new branch at Graceville. And at Baval I'd been a bit zealous. I was, you know, witnessing and, 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 you know, telling people that they needed to repent and everything like that, like you do when you're that age. I actually, I actually got punched for it once. It didn't hurt much, and it's a great sermon illustration, so I'll, I'll just tick that one off. Yeah, so I got punched. When I got to my new branch, the um, assistant manager sat me down and he said, okay, there'll be none of your Bible bashing here. I thought, okay, fair enough, fair enough. And, uh, and that. But I looked across the room and I saw two other guys who I knew were Christians. And I thought, we'll just see how this works. And we didn't, we didn't say anything to anybody. We just went about our business. We, we just worked hard, worked well. And, and bit by bit, The culture of that place changed and it tipped into a favorable culture a favorable environment for people to start asking questions and the culture changed first and then the questions started to be asked the people started coming to church the people started getting saved and there was a transformed workplace often we think it's got to work the other way around that we have to all get saved and then change the culture but no if you change the culture if you implement a culture a godly kingdom culture then things will start to happen regardless of whether people get saved or not people like people like that people like barry i call them gatekeepers because they're strategically placed where streams of people come along and they just point in a direction like a gatekeeper saying here's the way to go here's the way to go Back in the oh gee, and my voice is peaking out. Back in the sixties, there was a, a a revival, I guess you'd call it, the Jesus People movement happened in the sixties, and it was it was a, an amazing in, uh, environment, and it lasted through the sixties into the seventies, and then it moved to Britain and to Australia, and it sort of petered out in the in the early eighties. But before it did, I got saved in it. And I was you know like in one thousand nine hundred and eighty the Jesus people movement was still going and uh, and you know people were still getting saved and that 's when I got saved so what happened in the Jesus movement Jesus people movement in America was millions of people, about two million i think were were apparently led to the Lord in that time and what happened was that there was a, a strategic move against Jesus people by the by the enemy, and it happened through a book it happened through a book called The Late Great Planet Earth which said that yeah okay Jesus is returning the world's going to end it's all over in about a few years time and so everybody not quite everybody but a lot of people who got saved during that movement all just focused on ministry the now and they didn't go into education they didn't go into into uh, the community and they didn't take up strategic positions in the community in different workplaces they all just focused on ministry and something huge was lost there, and that's what we can't afford to let happen. So many times we focus on on church life as what happens here, it's ministry, it's prayer, it's Bible reading, it's all that, but it's way more than that. People lodged in the community to bring about transformational change. See, in Australia, we are hamstrung somewhat by the fact that we are a young nation. We have only been around for a couple of hundred years, but people in Europe... People who have been in the, in the church in Europe, they come from a background where maybe it took four or five generations of one family to actually build a cathedral or build a church building. It took them that long to build because they're so huge. So they are used to seeing church as like a hundred year vision. We're not. We want to know what's going to happen tomorrow instead of, Maybe, you know, talking to our kids about, maybe, son, maybe you want to, you know, go to uni, get a degree in political science and public policy. It's a good idea, wasn't it, Brett? And then, and then you can you can lodge in the workplace, maybe change those things and, and do things like that and, and look at church as a 100-year vision like people do in Europe because, you know, it might have taken four generations of stonemasons To build a particular church. And so they have a different idea of church to what we do. A hundred year vision. But let's see what Jesus has to say about all this. I'm talking about rivers in the Badlands, a labyrinth, a net, a network of people in the community strategically placed to steer people in the direction of the kingdom of God and transform the culture around them. So let's have a look at what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 1, just 10 verses. It says this So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And then Jesus says the telling words. At the end, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. This isn't a story about fishing. This is a prophetic picture of how people will come to know the Lord. It talks about catching men like he caught fish. You notice that that's a well-worn passage. We, we read it a couple of times every year it's preached on a couple of times every year but did you notice that jesus said to him simon put out your nets and simon puts out a net not two nets or multiple nets he puts out nets singular i think he was just probably paying lip service to jesus and making a a courtesy one net drop but you know he's sort of obeyed but not fully jesus said nets but peter said net there needed to be many nets. There was only one net, and when that one net got full, it started to cause issues. See, and this is a picture of how fishing with one net, with only one avenue into the kingdom, causes problems. It can unbalance the boat. Fishing in one pool has its limitations. If we rely on people coming into the church to get saved... That's just one pool. There needs to be many nets strung out from all our boats in different directions so that people can get saved on the side of the road, in a shop, buying a newspaper, that sort of thing. Because we are salt and we are light and we are a city on a hill. Sometimes if you fish one pool with one net, it can unbalance the boat. I I used to um, work for Teen Challenge and I came across a lot of churches who, who targeted one people group, one area. Say, for instance, the homeless. And they would target that, that area and try and, and get homeless people to church. And some of them were very successful. But what usually ended up happening was that they took the offense, the churches took the offense of the people they were ministering to, and, it, and the churches ended up becoming little centers of activism rather than churches and it unbalanced the ship because they fished in one pond. That was it. Ministry became activism. But the net, the, the, the whole idea of a net has significance. And there's a link between this verse, the whole idea of a net, and another passage in Ephesians that comes later on. And I believe it's important that we understand this passage in Ephesians and how it works because this illustrates all of what I'm talking about this morning. So we're going to read this passage from Ephesians. It's just, just six verses, but it's very important. The first verse is crucial. It says this, Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To who? Each one of us. Each one of us has been given a gift. We've been given grace. We've been given a particular ability particular thing that we do. Verse 8, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that also he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heaven that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be, apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me give you some context on this and how it works and how it relates back. In Mark chapter 1, there's a verse that talks about the disciples were mending their nets. That mending their nets is the same word, the same Greek thought, the same idea in the original language as perfecting the saints so what we're talking about here is setting in place those gifts were put in the church to set in place a net which all of us comprise all of us make up a net with all of our gifts all of our unusual giftings come together and we make a net that causes people to come into and be transformed can you see that And so the idea here is that God has established people in offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to set in place a net, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's to set the saints in place like a net across all streams of society to bring about social and cultural transformation. Now, all of us are saints. So all of us also have these anointings but in different measures. So let's get into that. How does it work? These anointings, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, there are people who stand in those offices. Like when Pastor Steve Penny comes here, the man is a prophet. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an anointing, a lens through which we see the church, through which we see life. And that lens is the anointing that we have. First John chapter 2 says we all have an anointing we all have that we all have this thing so there's five anointings five lenses and everything that you see is influenced by that lens it changes the way we interpret life let's have a look at them and see how they work let's start with the pastor when the pastor looks through the pastor lens the pastor sees the church right he sees the christians it's all about families marriages community that's the top priority that's the most important thing the pastor is the guy who meets you when you come in and he says hi jack hi ruby good to see you in church noticed you weren't here last sunday did you get my voice message on monday morning just wanted to let you know that we missed you how are your kids all your boys lee harvey and oswald how are they going all right just want to let you know that that we love you how's your marriage going going well because if it's not we got a workshop coming up that's the pastor lens if you need anything just phone phone me at two o'clock in the morning that's the way a pastor is wired when the pastor looks through the pastor lens he sees the church he sees us he sees the christians so then we come to the teacher. And I've already alienated all the teachers in the room because a lot of the teachers believe, and rightly so, that the teacher and pastor should go together. But for the purpose of the exercise, when the teacher looks through the teacher lens, what does he see? He sees the Word, the Word of God, the Scriptures. That's what he sees. And he draws our attention to the Scriptures. The pastor draws our attention to the church, to the Christians to love community the teacher draws our, our attention to the word of god when a teacher tackles a subject you better know that he's right that he's studied the subject he's read the scripture in every version of the bible that is has ever been written and he's read read every concordance every commentary and he's googled the guys who wrote the commentary to make sure that they've never done anything wrong in their lives and so you have this this guy who is thorough About the Word of God. A teacher draws a line in the room. This is the truth. This is the light. And as you move further away from that, you move in varying degrees of deception. That's the teacher. The teacher reminds us that the the scriptures are important. Then we come to the evangelist, the evangelist lens. Now, Evangelists in this room you're already struggling you're moving around in your seat because you're uncomfortable because you've been sitting for too long there are people outside going to hell there's a carload of people going That's another carload of people going to hell and am i the only one that cares you say that's how an evangelist is wired they draw our attention to lost people lost people are the most important thing i mean why are we even sitting here sitting around Let's have a church with no seats. That way we can't sit. The Bible didn't say to sit. The Bible said, go into all the world. The evangelist reminds us of the lost, the message of salvation, the blood of Jesus. Then we come to the prophet. When the prophet looks through the prophet lens, what does he see? He sees the spirit realm. Everything is invisible, but everything has a meaning everything all day everything means something every car number plate is a message from heaven every song on the radio is a word from god people aren't wearing clothes they're wearing meaning so you got a purple shirt on that's that's the color of royalty your royalty that's how a prophet thinks when you're wearing a red shirt it's the blood of jesus you're a walking message of salvation the prophet turns our attention to the spirit realm, which is more real than the physical realm. You had a digital watch on your arm every day at 10 minutes past 10. 10, 10, 10 the number of completion. That's what I'm seeing. 10, 10, the number, of, it's there twice. Number of witness. Yeah, you know, that's how a prophet thinks. The prophet draws our attention to the spirit realm. So if you have a friend who's a prophet, be nice to them. They've got a lot happening. Then we come finally to the Apostle. The Apostle is the guy who wakes up every day expecting heaven to manifest on earth. The Apostle looks through the Apostle lens and he sees the blueprint of heaven, the things that are important to the Father. They're looking for the supernatural transformation to happen in a moment, the miraculous, the supernatural resources of heaven, the power of God, always looking to pull the realities of heaven into the here and now and confront Earth until Earth changes. That's the apostle. One that springs to mind is a man called John G. Lake, who in Spokane in America um, was was such an effective ministry that the American government declared Spokane to be the healthiest city in America because there had been one hundred thousand documented healings in that city. And so the, the, the American government actually recognised it. That's what happens when an apostle is let loose. So, there we have these five anointings, all different, but all drawing our attention to one part, one particular aspect of, of, of life, of Christianity. They're not more important than the other, they're all important. And the five people, the five different streams that run through all of us together, make up something that is well balanced and well ordered, moving towards a unity of the faith. But you can see how these five personalities might sometimes not get on. You know, the, the, the prophet wants the spirit realm. The, the, the teacher wants the word. It's, you know, it's, it's, everything is a different priority. But when all the priorities are put together, we have a balanced outlook. We actually have a well-strung net. We, have, we are equipped and deployed and we are a net in society. So that net would be set in place with all alignment and no holes. So there we are. We've got five different anointings that, that flow through people that, that actually, when put together, if you can hold off the fighting, actually are very effective. But sometimes people, it's just too much and disagreement happens. Now, just a quick, few quick thoughts that might help you to frame a mindset to function away from the house of God. I want to look at, just as a personality in the Bible, Daniel, the prophet who was uh, taking captivity into Babylon. Now, traditionally, Christians going into the workplace hasn't gone all that well. Historically, we've been judgmental, pointing out people's faults and errors, and that doesn't go down too well. And sometimes, you know, the, the Christians in the workplace can generally be seen as a nuisance, telling people more where they fall short than what God has in store for them. But here's some perspectives from the book of Daniel and we can look at this and just get a different framing of how to behave, how to actually affect and transform this, the, the individual areas, the environments around us. In, in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 19, King Nebuchadnezzar has had a bad dream and Daniel, he knows the interpretation and the result doesn't look good for the king so much so that Daniel is troubled. And this is what he says to the king. He says to the king when he's about to interpret the dream, he says, I wish that this dream was about those who hate you and its interpretation about your enemies. Daniel had developed such an affection, such a love for the king that he was able to say that. See, Daniel, was, he, was a, he was a prisoner of war. He was taken into captivity for most of his life and his parents were most likely killed by Nebuchadnezzar's army. His temple and his country had been destroyed and and through all this, Daniel still manages to show love for his captor, the king. And so, you know, what would this mean if we could genuinely love the people around us, genuinely love those in our workplace, those in our school classes, those in our uni lectures? if we genuinely love people, those in our clubs, footy clubs, there's a principle in First Corinthians 14 that says God will allow us influence where we love. He will give us authority and influence where we love. If we don't love the people around us, we can't really expect to have authority and influence in their lives. He says that the, to, to follow after love Because love is the defining factor. As you love intentionally and deliberately those around you, even though there's probably no chance you'll get affection in return, God will expound the boundaries of your authority and of your influence. Something else from Daniel. See, while Daniel is in captivity, he's never known as a prophet of God. He's known as chief of the magicians. And he's called by a name that is one of the king's gods. See, the king thought he was a sorcerer, but Daniel didn't, didn't see fit to correct him. He just let it go. He wasn't precious about it. The king said that the spirit of the gods was on Daniel, and Daniel didn't bother to correct him on that either. I heard a story by a man who is a prophet, a man called Chris Vallotton, who was on a plane, and he was sitting beside a man, and he had, he had a, a very strong prophetic word for this man it was very detailed and 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 so he started sharing it with the man and the man said are you a psychic and he was about to say no i'm a prophet of the most and he felt the holy spirit say to him no it's near enough see god isn't worried about terminology he's just worried about the outcome at the end of the day that person's life was changed there was transformation happened because of what what God was doing. So Daniel didn't see fit to correct the king. He just maintained his love for the king and his influence there. By loving and not being precious, Daniel was effective and he, he managed to serve four kings and be effective in transforming the kingdom of each one of those kings and being heavily influential. As a rule of thumb at work, wherever you are in the environment that you're trying to transform see everything judge little and forgive much just a quick rule of thumb I just want to um, close with a, an illustration of, of something that I just I learned about not too long ago just this week something that as uh, a, a lady in our congregation at Collingwood Park something that, that has actually happened to her that illustrates this whole thing just perfectly so if the musos would like to join me on stage we'll start to to bring this into land, lady in our congregation who came to our country some years ago, she was well educated, but decided to do her masters in Australia, and she she picks organizational administration as uh, as as uh, as her degree, and she she studies that and and majors in aged care. So when she's when she's finished, she's finished her masters. She has no particular area that she knows of where she can get a job, no p- particular leading, not really much in the, in the way of opportunity to exercise what she's just learned. Then she comes across um, a whole new idea of aged care service delivery. And she, she reads the website, um, the, the, the website is, um, it's come about because the Australian government is trying to change the way aged care services are delivered. Um, more in a home-based environment than a, than a center-based environment. And, and so this lady gets starts to feel excited. And so she sends an email to the guys on the website. And she says, look, I've just done my master's. I'm really interested in this. How can I help you? And one thing leads to another. And they end up saying to her, we, we would like you to implement this system over, well, a huge area of Queensland. And so because of her study, because of her availability to the concept of being used by God in an area of society, she is now placed to be instrumental in a grassroots level of implementing a a tremendously important system in in our nation's ability to dispense aged care because of her availability because of her i because she is part of a river in the badlands going into an area where the church had no influence but this person does and she will wield a kingdom influence in that area the guys have already said to her we wish we could clone you and put you all around australia and i bet god wishes he could do that too and have somebody in at a fundamental grassroots level of implementing something that is so vital in our country and have a kingdom perspective sewn into that from the very start. Isn't that an awesome thing? It means means we'll lose it to our congregation, but it'll be a big gain for the kingdom. Amen? Why don't we pray? Father, we just thank you that you are doing a new thing, that you have set up a system, that you have designed a system to bring people into a place of transformation. Lord, we thank you because you have designed this by your handiwork, Lord, that you have established in our church people to equip the saints. We thank you because you have positioned people in our church, in the community, at strategic levels. Father, we just pray for your anointing to be increased on each one each one in a in a position of authority in business each one in a position of authority in education each one in a position of authority in in uh, in any workplace that they happen to be involved in lord we thank you for this i just want to pray this morning particularly for those in business this morning i just feel particular about that area at the moment I just feel that God wants to do something transformational in the business sector of our town. And I'd I'd just like to, if you're involved in business this morning, I want to pray for you particularly. Can I see a hand of those who are involved in business? Thank you. Yes. Yes, many hands. Okay. Father, this morning, Lord God, we just release power over each hand that you saw raised. Father, we release a fresh anointing, Lord, a transformational anointing over each soul here that, that, you, that represents you in business, Lord God. Father, may it be the beginning of something that is transformational in the business culture of our city. Lord, may we see dividends come from this, Lord God. Father, we commit each one of these to you this morning. In Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen.